You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Okay, we're going to get started. So good afternoon, and today's we're a little earlier, but today we're going to be focusing on the story of this week's Torah reading of Parshas Lech Lecha. The previous Rebbe's always used to say that the first Torah reading, Bereshis, it's exciting in the beginning, God creates heaven and the earth, but then ultimately the people destroy it so it becomes sad at the end. Noah, in the beginning it's a sad, it's a melancholy Torah reading, because it talks about the flood and things like that, but then afterwards... Avram is born, so it's excitement that comes to it. However, when it comes to the Torah reading of Lech Lecha, that's an entirely exciting Torah reading because it's all about Avram. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is about Avram. There's a rabbi who's a well-known lecturer. His name is Rabbi Ashkenazi in Israel. And once a couple called him up, and he says, you know, every single time in life you have different people calling up with all different challenges, they're all different issues questions of people getting along and thinking that and the other. And not always do you see a good resolution that comes from it. But it says, but this time, he says, this couple called up, and what happened was, this family, they're 22 years, couple married, and all of a sudden life was falling apart. Thing, episode after episode, it keeps on falling apart, and the children were back and forth between the father and the mother. He lost his business. At 50 years old, he had to move back into his parents' home. And you can imagine that this guy's life was not in the greatest shape. He felt so down and decrepit, down in the dumps, that he even came to the level that one point in his life he felt like it was all over. However, because he fell so low, he realized and he said, you know what, I got to do something about it. God wouldn't allow such a situation to happen on its own. He says, this was my wife for 20 years, over 20 years. We brought up children together. How can everything all of a sudden just fall apart? We got to do something about it. And he decided he's going to do everything he can to be able to gain back her trust. And the rabbi says, this guy went, started working stocking shelves in the supermarket. Eventually he was able to buy, he started working in the supermarket, found a better job and better until he was able to make some money. And he started sending her money, alimony, now that he had some money, he was sending money to him, to the kids, started making Shabbos meals, and things of that nature. Until finally, you know, the kids were going back and forth, and they were doing this like for two years. They were separated for two years, and they were about to start the whole divorce process in the Rabbanut in Israel to be able to get the, 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 um, the divorce going, and assigned to get finally. And the guy says, it was right before... They were about to go into the Rabbanut, you know, to start the divorce process. It was the Passover before. And all of a sudden, Passover, right before Passover, his wife calls him up and says, why don't you come over and why don't we do the Seder together? It doesn't make sense that I have the girls, you have the boys. How can we have Passover not together? They came, they did Passover together, and ever since then, they're back together. So over here you see a very interesting story where a person who may have been down in the dumps, everything was going against him, the odds were all against him, but made that decision to make the say that it's going to work, 
God doesn't stay in debt, helped him out, got him through it, and he was also got him to work. But what was it the more? What was the deeper thing that they saw over here was that the relationship between the husband and the wife, you realize that I'm not giving up on this relationship. I'm not willing to say, that's it, it's over. They were willing to say, what can we still do to salvage the relationship? What's there that we can see? They trusted in one another that there's an intrinsic connection between the two of them. And even though that until now there was something that wasn't working out, there is something that they can do to make it work. This helps us, and this is going to bring us to this week's Torah reading. And what's going to take us to this week's Torah reading is by understanding three different concepts. There are sometimes questions that intellectually you don't understand. Then there are sometimes questions which emotionally, you know, you get it into that intellectually, I can explain it to you all on paper, but it just doesn't feel good. But then there are certain questions which the entire existence of the idea doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even come to being. It like strikes a, an arrow between the whole existence of what it should be. As adults, as parents, as humans, the question comes. And in this week's Torah reading, I think we have one of those questions. This week's Torah reading begins, God tells Abraham to leave his father's home, to leave the place of Haran and to go to a place where he doesn't know. And he follows one of the ten challenges that God gives him and he goes to the place. Comes to the land of Canaan, there's a hunger there. And therefore, what does he do? He leaves the land of Canaan and he ends up going down to the land of Egypt. He comes down to the land of Egypt, and on the way down to the land of Egypt, Abraham turns to his wife, Sarah, and he tells him, you know, I now discovered how beautiful you are. But because I discovered how beautiful you are, I got to put you in the box. Why do I have to put you in the box? Because the Egyptians, they are people that were perverted, they're murderers, they're going to kill me. And if I don't say, and if you don't say that you are my sister, then they're going to kill me. And therefore, you'll be the one to stay alive. You'll be taken to the house of Pharaoh. And therefore, I will be killed. You'll survive. So therefore, do me this one favor. Say you're my sister. This way, it'll be good for me, good for you, and everything would work out. So now, look at this question over here. Look what Avram's doing. He says, the fact that you'll be taken to Pharaoh's house, big deal. But I got to stay alive. So you say you're my sister. He's thrown Sarah into the tower, uh, under the bus. Exactly what he's doing. Put, literally under the bus. Put her in a trunk. Put her in a box. How does he not stand up or do something to even save Sarah's life? Even more so, what's the way of saying it? He says, you know what? You say that you're my sister. Why doesn't he say, I'm her brother? If that was the whole way out. If that was the whole resolution. If the whole resolution is to show that they're related, that they're brothers, that they're not husband and wife, let him stand up and say, you're my brother. Why does he have to say, you're my sister? And finally, even more so, the number two, is by him telling that it's, he's my sister, they could have just said, we came, two separate people, walked into a synagogue, walked into the borders of Egypt. They happened to be coming through customs at the same time. I don't know her. She doesn't know me. Why do you even have to say brother and sister? Why do you have to say related? Who said they look like each other? Yes, they were brother-in-laws. Yes, they were nephews and uncle and niece. But why did they have to even go into the whole relationship? Brother, sister. We're not related. We're coming through the border. We happen to go through customs at the same time. 
all of a sudden this becomes a whole question, a whole situation. This becomes a whole idea that he says, she's my sister, say I'm your brother, say we just came through customs. Is that the only way he found out? So we're going to have to look at this from all different perspectives and look at it from all different ways and see what was going on over here. And why actually did Abraham pick the situation? And it must be that when Abraham chose that this should be the solution for them to be saved from Pharaoh was because that Abraham over here was trying to show Sarah that wherever happens, there's an intrinsic connection between the two of us. There's a bond between the two of us that can never be severed, not through a Pharaoh, not through anybody else. No perverted non-Jew or no kingdom in the world, no king who likes women, whatever it may be, is going to be able to destroy and disrupt the relationship that we have. And this was the ball. This was the ball that he was dropping. This was the message that he was saying. This was the well, by him saying, this is going to be you are my sister, that had to show the relationship. Otherwise, why would Avram say it? But even more so, we'll see. What Avram was telling us over here was not just a relationship between him and Sarah, but a relationship between us and God. And that relationship is all how it's defined. So let's take a little bit deeper dive into the Torah reading of Parshish Lech Lecha, and we'll get to a better understanding and appreciation to this relationship and to why Avram chose this type of terminology. Yeah. Okay. So he puts her in the suitcase or the luggage or the box. So how, how do they know she's in there if she's Oh, so we're going because they come through customs. <laughs> so we're going to get to it. So let's see. Yeah, yeah. So Parshas Lechlachot begins, as we said before, all of a sudden, until now, the world was a pagan world. People were serving idolatry. Abraham is the first light into the world. He's the first one to teach monotheism. He's the first one to teach about godliness into the world. He's the first one to bring the concepts of monotheism to the world. And over here, Abraham comes to the land of Israel. The land of Israel was supposed to be a place where he was going to dwell after leaving his parents' home, after being saved. In last week's Torah reading, though, though it doesn't say it clearly, but he was saved by being thrown into the fire. And he was saved because since he destroyed all his father's idols. And God begins this week's Torah reading and saying, whoever blesses you will be blessed, those that curse you will be cursed, and wherever you go the world will be blessed. But all of a sudden we see from that day on, challenge after challenge after challenge, 10 different challenges that Abraham was given to see if he really believes in God. All of a sudden, as we mentioned, he comes to the land of Israel. The land of Israel is a hunger. He can't survive there. So what does he have to do? He has to go down to the land of Egypt. Egypt, as we know, was a place where Joseph, later on called the nakedness of the land, the perversion of the land. And Egypt was as well known as to everybody that Egypt was a place where there are corrupt people. There are people that don't behave appropriately. And therefore, Abraham realizes, though, I need to go to Egypt to be able to get food because it was not surviving on rain. They had the Nile River that would give water. So therefore, they, they were, so to speak, you know, um, they were not harmed by the hunger. But what does he, he realize here? He sees that they want to take his wife. And he says, what's the problem? He has a double problem here. Number one, they're going to take his wife. Number two, they're going to kill him. Why are they going to kill him? And here's the weird thing that you saw about the people of Egypt. The people of Egypt, they had a certain sense of he- awe of heaven within them. Meaning, they were willing to kill somebody, but they would not want to commit adultery. Why? And some of the commentaries want to explain something very interesting. That when you kill somebody, how many sins did you do? One sin. 
When you commit adultery, as long as you're with that woman, every single time you're doing another sin. So they thought in their mind, what would be better? Kill the person. Like this, they're not doing a continuous sin, but they're doing only one sin. It's an interesting rationale, but you should know that in Jewish law, there's a similar rationale. In Jewish law, there's an interesting law. The Medrash says something as follows. In fact, they learned it out of this verse. That if there's a person sick on Shabbat, you're allowed to slaughter an animal for them on Shabbat. Slaughter the animal, kill the animal, do all the things which you're not allowed to do on Shabbat for the sick person. You may just ask, just give them a non-kosher food. If I can get non-kosher food right here, why kill the animal? And then have to slow cook the animal and bacon and everything else and then give it to the sick person. Just give them non-kosher food. Because what's the difference? When eating non-kosher food, every single bite that the person's doing is doing something prohibited. But when it comes to, to slaughtering the animal, one time you slaughter the animal, that's it. One time you're baking. Two malachas, you're only doing two things wrong. But over there, every single time you're going to be doing something wrong. The same rationale was by the Egyptians that they said, we killed the guy, it's only one thing wrong. But adultery, every single time we're with a woman, it's going to be something wrong. So what was the rationale? When a person came with a woman that Pharaoh, who was every king of Egypt was called the Pharaoh liked, they would kill the man. And like this, the woman was free to go. Someone has say, why wouldn't they just force, according to Egyptian law, especially before the Torah was given, they would just force the person to be divorced. But again, the problem is, how do you force the person to be divorced? One of the ways of forcing them is by killing them. <laughs> so, but that was, the, uh, that was the issue as well. And Abraham realized, and because they themselves realized that if I'm going to force a person, he's still going to stay alive and I'm going to take his wife, it's really not a divorce. And it's really going to be committing a sin. So they felt that the best way for them out of it was to happenstance kill the person. And therefore, um, they're going to be able to be with the woman that they would like. So Avram realized this. So what does Avram say? He tells his wife, you say you're my sister. Like this, I'll be able to live and it'll be good for you. What do we see from over here? Avram worried about himself. He asked of Sarah that she should deny in their relationship. This way, they're going to be able to be that he's going to be able to survive. Who's going to protect Sarah when she's in the king's palace? That there's no answer on. That he doesn't talk about. The Torah goes on to say, Sarah was actually taken to the king's palace. A good angel protected her and she was okay. But the question still stands, how did Evram take this responsibility of telling Sarah, say you're my sister, and without worrying about what's going to happen to her? without being concerned about what's going to happen to her. Yeah, Barbanel asks the question and says, what kind of person would be able to choose such a life and say, hello, I'm surviving, you take to the palace, everything will be all right. Even more so. You may say, oh, well, Avram was weak, he was this old man, he didn't know how to wage war, he didn't know what to do. But just a little bit later in the Torah reading, Lot gets captured, and he gets told that Lot gets captured. And it was the first world war where it was the five kings, the nine kings that were fighting, the five against the four. And Avram, with his own servant Eliezer, gets up and goes to wage war against the most powerful Nimrod of all times. And wages war and saves his cousin. So you see very clearly that if Avram really what he wanted, he's not this feeble, weak individual who cannot wage war. 
He really has that ability to stand up against different powers. It wasn't somebody who shied from any type of war. He was able to wage a war against Nimrod, who was considered the most ruler of the world at the time. The four kings against the five, and they won the five kings. Why did all of a sudden over here Avram was not willing to have some self-sacrifice? In fact, Avram was the paradigm of self-sacrifice. He gave his life for other people. His own wife, he's not willing to fight for her? Something doesn't sound right here. In Egypt, all of a sudden, no, let her be taken to the palace. He has no problem with it. Nachmanides actually writes some very harsh words against Abraham. And he says, you know what? This is one sin causing another sin. Who told Abraham to go down to Egypt? Nobody. He came to the land of Canaan. That's where God told him to come. There was a hunger. Live it out. Trust in God. You'll get your food until God tells you to move on. The fact that he decided to go down to Egypt, that was sin number one. And the fact that when he came to Egypt, that led him to send his wife off to the palace without caring for her, that was all a lead up because of what he did the first sin. According to Nachmanides, this was one sin leading into the next. And therefore, he felt that this was actually wrong of what Abraham did. The only question is that even Nachmanides, even according to Nachmanides, you know, Abraham by all accounts, was not your average Joe. By all accounts, Abraham was not your average Jew. He was a person of a great elitism, a person of great spirituality. He was a person that stood up to anybody and everybody all times. He was the one to preach about monotheism and teach the world about it against all odds. He was not afraid of a challenge. To be able to say that Avram sinned in something that almost every moral and ethical human being would stand up to protect his wife, and Avram did not even do the minimalistic amount to be able to protect his wife, sounds a little odd. That that should be a sin. You want to tell me a sin like Moses, that, you know, a small little idea, but a sin of such great magnitude, of not even doing something which is even a non-Jew, God forbid, would do to protect their own wife. How would this be possible? And especially if you look that this is not only the first time it happened. If this was such a terrible sin according to Nachmanides, later on, Avimelech comes into the picture in the study of Plishtim. Again, the same episode they want to take Sarah. And what does she say? He's my brother. Haven't they learned from the first time? Again, he doesn't stand to protect her. Not only that, it goes on to the next generation. Isaac and Rebekah come to the city of Plishtim as well. And again, the same story. Isaac says Rebekah is his sister. Or Rebekah says, that's my brother. What happened worrying about your wife? Is this a, a, fa- a genetic disease or something? What's going on over here? That they don't take care of their women and their family? What's happening here? And all of a sudden, again, why are they showing themselves as a brother and a sister? Just say you're not related. Just get divorced before you move down to Egypt. If you know they're so perverted, if you know you're worried about they're going to kill you, separate from her. Why go there to begin with and put yourself in problems? Or Hachayim, one of the commentaries on the Torah, says the exact same question. Why does Avram say she's my sister? Why doesn't he just say I'm a stranger? And again, why does he continue to ask her to say that she's a sister? Why doesn't he say he's the problem? I'm her brother. Why does she the one that has to say I'm her sister? Which continues to make this concept, which is that he's creating like this thorny issue where he's saying, I'm the one that has to survive. Look in the words he says, that it should be good for me, and you'll also be all good. 
It was so old, the Sarah became so self-centered. This selfless Jew who gave his back, who gave his show, everything, his food for every stranger in the desert, all of a sudden is only thinking about himself. One of the great commentators of the Bali Atosis says simply that maybe this was a deal. When they got married, they knew they're going to have different places they're going to travel to. They knew this was a couple that goes from place to place. And this was like, a, you know, today people have something called an open marriage. This was their deal when they got married. We go to places, you say, you're my sister, I'd say, and everybody thing works out. And over here, he's just reminding her of the deal. The problem is still, again, why would he make such a deal? Why couldn't he be the one to say he's the brother? Where is this caring for his wife? So to be able to understand this and make this even a little better, we come to another in place where we call, somebody is called a sister. Where else do we find a discussion between a spouse where one is called a sister? And takes us to a very romantic story in the Song of Songs. In the Song of Songs, there's a story, King Solomon puts it this way. It's springtime in the land of Israel. The rain ceases to come down. The sun is shining, beautiful spring air. And a nice young woman is going out into the vineyards. And she sees this handsome young shepherd. And she says, I want to meet that shepherd again. And he says, yes, we'll meet again. We'll come together again. We'll meet, one, meet up. And she's dreaming about this shepherd. And she says, My beloved is for me and I am to him. She's thinking about him. But a day passes. Night comes by. And the, her beloved doesn't show up. He ghosted her. Doesn't come. She finds out from the gate, from the, from the watchman of the town. He says, did you see him? And as the words of King Solomon, I found the watchman around the city. Have you seen the love of my life? And he said, I've seen the women of Jerusalem. If you find him, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? But they're laughing at her and says, Ah, forget about that shepherd. He was a handsome guy. He forgot about you. Go back home. There's nothing to talk about. She comes the night. She goes to sleep. She's about to fall asleep. And all of a sudden, there's somebody knocking on the door. There's a, my, the, she hears the knocking of the door. It's the voice of her beloved knocking on the door. He says, Open for me. Achoisi. My sister, Rayasi, my wife, Yoinasi, my dove, Tamasi, my completion. She answers her in anger. Poshatati eskutanti, I already took off my clothing. I am already ready for going to sleep. How can I get dressed again? I washed my feet. I'm not going to get them dirty again. I'm going to get my feet dirty. I went around the whole day looking for you. You went avoiding me. Now you come knocking on my door in the middle of the night. You want me to get dressed and all of a sudden get myself dirty to be able to come to you? Goodbye. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But her beloved doesn't give up. He puts his hand in and he tries to open up the door from the inside. Puts his hand through the, the wall and tries to open up the door. Oh, she sees he's that desperate. She sees she really wants him. She gets up and she wants to go open the door. But all of a sudden, she was too late. He disappeared. 
And what happens? Now she's standing and she's saying, Ani l'doidi, I am for my beloved. V'doidi li, my beloved is for me. And she says, we like each other. We just have to connect. We just have to meet. King Solomon is saying the story about, of course, it's a metaphor between God and, God and the Jewish people. But in his metaphor, he uses a specific terminology. In his poetic terminology, he uses the terminology and he goes, Pischili, open for me, achoisi, my sister, rayosi, my wife. Seemingly, it seems like an oxymoron. Is she your wife? Then she's not your sister. If she's your sister, then she's not your wife. On the contrary, if she's your sister and your wife, then you're doing something really wrong here with incest and all the other issues that you got here. So it's not his sister because he saw this strange person running and she saw this handsome guy. It's not his wife yet because then how can it be his sister? So what's going on here? But really what was he telling us over here? And as the Rebbe explains to us that these two explanations help us now understand what exactly a sister is and what is a wife and that these two words are an adjective of a relationship that we have with God and a relationship that we have in general. The Abarbanel and the Sopornum explain this. <clears throat> explain this as, you know, these words, say that you're my sister. Now this was not an egoistic type of behavior of, of Abraham, but on the contrary. Abraham was doing what people, Jewish people have done for the longest of time, which was we look to delay things. Hopefully that by the time it happens, okay, you say now you're my sister, by the time you take, you will figure out what to do with the next move. We're always hoping for Mashiach will come already before it happens, and by that time it will be over. There used to be a very famous witty kid. His name was Herschel Astrapoli. He became an older guy. He was known as a kid. He was very witty. But then he was known for a very witty fellow. His name was Herschel. He says, one time, the pirates of the town, you know, had a lot of money and didn't have anything, didn't know what to do with his money. So one day, he, they hung up a sign in the synagogue that the pirates said that any Jew that will come teach his dog how to play an instrument, that Jew will get 10,000 gold coins. Herschel sees the sign. He can make 10,000 gold coins. Boom! <laughs> I'll be the one. He comes up to the pirates. He sells the pirates, the nobleman. I'll teach your dog an instrument, but I need five years. But I need now the money. I need the money before the five years. The pirates says, sure, here's your down payment, 10,000 gold coins. Come back in five years. You got to make sure my dog knows on how to play an instrument. Comes home to his wife. He shows his wife, I got 10,000 gold coins. We're rich. We're great. His wife looks at him. Where did you get 10,000 gold coins from? Says, I told the purse. I'll be able to teach the dog an instrument. She looks at him. Herschelah, you know how to teach a dog instrument. You don't know how to play an instrument yourself. What do you know about dogs? <laughs> Herschelah looks at his wife. He says, look, in five years, either the purse will die or the dog will die. What do I have to worry about? The same idea as always. We looked at things. Hopefully, pushing off, delaying, delay, delay. Hopefully, it'll get worked out. Something will work out. In those days, how did it work out? Who was the one that used to look? Who used to be the one that used to negotiate about who should be the one to find the right match for the brother? Was the sister. Well, I'm sorry for her sister. Was the brother, was the one that was the one in charge. If you look in a few weeks' time, we're going to have in the Torah reading, when Eliezer comes to find a match for Yitzchak, 
Lavan, the wicked, is the one that's all of a sudden the representative that's making sure and checking over his sister. So the brother is always the protector, so to speak, for the sister. So whenever a shidduch, whenever a match had to happen, the brother was the one that had to take care of it. What does Avram of Yer also say? Say, you're, you're my sister. Because Avram says, say as follows, I'll be the protector. Pharaoh wants to marry you, you're going to say, you got to talk to my brother, he's in charge of the shidduch, you got to know how much you have to pay him, how much everything, you got to work it out with him. So what Avram was saying in essence was, he was delaying tactic by saying, Avram saying, tell Sarah, when they come to take you, not that I'm not going to protect you, on the contrary, when they come and take you, you're going to come along and say, you got to talk to my brother, he is the one that's in charge of who I marry." You gotta negotiate with him the price. And that way everything will work out. Where do we see this? And this is said, and this we find this, because seemingly this all works out, it's very nice, but the problem is what happens afterwards? The plan didn't work out. Sarah is taken. They don't consult with Avram. Where is Avram to stand up for his wife? Where is he? How come he didn't go out to work and say, Hey, you took my wife, give her back to me? He realized that all of a sudden miraculous events. What happened now? And the Zohar explains something fascinating. And the Zohar says throughout the lifetime of Sarah, you almost never find Avram defending Sarah. In fact, he has to be told by God everything that Sarah says he got to listen to. But at the end of his life, at the end of Sarah's life, I should say, Avram was the one who gave a eulogy to Sarah that encompassed everything that happened in his life and how he gives all the credit to his wife. Do you know what that eulogy is? The eulogy that Avram said to Sarah, we say every single Friday night, that King Solomon eventually put in the book of Proverbs, the Eishas Chayil. If you look at the Eishas Chayil, a woman of valor, who can find? It doesn't talk about in the future, but it talks about everything in the past. What she has done. Because this is a eulogy that Abraham was giving for Sarah. That now that Sarah was not alive anymore, he was giving her a eulogy and said, the woman of valor, who can find? Who can find such a great woman? And therefore he says, He put her trust in her husband. What does it mean she put her trust in her husband? By the very fact that he said, He said, please, you are my sister. That will be good for me. And then as he continues to say, Avram, and because of that, Avram became a very wealthy person, that he was able to have wool and linen and all the other things. What does it mean he was able to see the difference between wool and linen? Sarah was able to see the difference between Yitzchak and Yishmael, who was a perfect person who was not. She was able to see who was the righteous and who was not. And because of that, we find later on, what does God tell Avram? Listen to Sarah, whatever she says, because she is able to discern, she's able to know what's going on. She was not just a person who was able to know about education for her children, but she also knew where to live. She knew where to spend the money. In fact, who is the one that was the one that had the prophecy? Our sages tell us that Sarah had the prophecy that Avram was able to learn from Sarah about ways and prophecy. She was able to, she had a better intuition than Avram. The holiness of Sarah didn't just stop by her education, by her intuition, where they lived and what they spent their money on and how they were able to bring up and cultivate their life. But even later on into the miraculous events that happened in Sarah's tent. Our sages tell us that when Yitzchak brought Rebekah into her tent, 
her after his mother because his mother had three great miraculous events that there was a cloud on top of her tent, her candle didn't go out, and her nose stayed fresh. And all those three same miraculous events happened by Rebecca. So we see very clearly that Sarah was not just your unique individual, she was a special in person. Not only a special person that started with Sarah, but continued to the future generations as well. So the Zohar tells us, when we look at Avram, Avram was not a person that had to worry about himself. Because who do you have protecting him? Sarah was the one protecting him. He saw the angel that was protecting Sarah in the house of Pharaoh was the one that because of that Abraham felt protected. He said, Sarah, I know wherever you go, you have somebody protecting you. You are the holier one. Therefore, I know that as long as I stay connected with you, as long as I depend on you, I'll be protected as well. Over here we understand that what Avram was saying was not that you're asking the question, our question was in the beginning, why didn't Avram go to war to why fight for Sarah? Because he realized Sarah is the one that's the greater one here. And if Sarah will be protected, he'll be protected. With this we can understand why he says now, Sarah, say you're my sister. Because over here he was telling her something very unique. What does it mean a sister? And over here the Talmud tells us, and the Zohar explains it, that Sarah was saved and Avram got much money because of it. And the Rebbe actually brings this many times and it says, and whenever a person asked about the parnasad, that about the sustenance in the house, they said, even though the guy goes to work, but the blessing is because of the woman that she stays home and cultivates the house. It is all because of the woman, as we see in this case, that Abraham became wealthy because of Sarah. The same idea is also what over here we were talking about, the husband and wife versus a brother and a sister. There are two types of relationships. There's a relationship between a brother and a sister and there's a relationship between a husband and a wife. What's the difference between the two relationships? Each one of them have a different advantage over the other. A relationship between a brother and a sister is natural. It's inherent. But because it's natural, they don't need to do anything to be able to cultivate it. And because of that, sometimes there are separations. There are some times that they get into fights, but they will eventually somehow always come together because there's an inherent relationship, even though they are in the biggest, greatest fight, there's nothing they can do in the world that would separate them. They'll always be together. However, in the relationship between a husband and a wife, it's a relationship that you made. It's a relationship that's not inherent. And therefore, when you decide that the relationship should work, the relationship will work. But because of that, there's an advantage as well. Because you did it, you set the parameters for it. You can make it better. You can make it stronger. You can make it tighter. A brother and sister, there's nothing they can do to make that relationship better. They're inherently the same. They're inherently connected. Yes, they can hang out more with each other. They can talk to each other more. But the relationship in its own is something which is inherent, which is natural, which they were born with. The relationship with a husband and wife is something that they have to constantly develop, and that's why a relationship between a brother and sister, does not, you don't have to do anything for that relationship to happen. A husband and wife, it's a constantly work in progress. <coughs> and if you're not working on it, it's going to, 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 to fall apart. The same ideas also we talk about in this week's Torah reading. When we talk about these two different types of levels where Avram turns to Sarah and he says, say you're my sister. What was he in saying? 
the relationship that we have as husband and wife will always that's what we work on with ourselves but now we're coming to a time to a crux in history where there's an individual that wants to separate us there's an individual that wants to get in the way of our relationship there's an individual pharaoh the evils of the world that want to separate me and you Imri say you are my sister. Tell him that we are intrinsically connected. There's nothing that he can do that can separate us. He can scream, he can kill, he can do what he wants. But there will be nothing that can be separating me between me and you. Imri reminding her our relationship is something which is intrinsic, inherent, that will never get severed. He reminded her from the first time that the people were created, even husband and wife. Chava came from a rib of Adam. They're one entity. And ever since we became one entity as husband and wife, he reminds Sarah, we'll never get separated, we'll never get severed. Over here, Avram was telling him, telling Sarah, until now we lived our life as one, as husband and wife, there was nothing bothering us. There was nobody disturbing us. There was nothing that showed any turbulence in our relationship. There was nothing that would test our relationship. Over here, all of a sudden, it's coming the first time that somebody wants to get in between the two of us. Imri, no, I'm telling you that our relationship is like a sister. There's nothing in between us. There's nothing that can sever it. This also takes us back to the Song of Songs. When the shepherd is yearning for that, his loved one. And the shepherd is down knocking on the door and he says, Peace, open up the door. Achoisi, my sister. Ayosi, my beloved. My wife. And the question we asked, which one is it? Is it your wife or your sister? It can't be both. And over here, what was he telling her? Peacefully open me. Achoisi, you're my sister. We are destined for one another. We belong to each other. We are connected with one another. We are like a brother and sister that cannot be severed. And then he goes at the same time, Peacefully, Rayosi, open up a place in your heart to be my wife as well. Where the desire, the yearning, is that he wants to be like one, like a brother and a sister. Meaning that they should be connected intrinsically, not on a relationship that they create, but a relationship that is there always. A relationship that's always there together. What we see over here is something unique. That the very fact that over here Abraham and Sarah knew that they are destined for one another. The very fact that these two knew that they had to be for each other. That in itself gave him the power and the impetus to stay with one another, regardless of whatever came. The very fact that they knew that they belonged to each other, that gave them the strength to say, whatever comes, whatever turbulence comes in our life, it's not going to be able to separate us. In fact, the Rebbe wrote many times that one of the ways to influence a person who is having questions in their marriage and in their relationship is to recognize that the two people, that if they don't recognize that they're two half-souls, and the way they come together is by coming together as one, that's what brings them completion. That's where the problems become. When they realize that they're really two half-souls, and they bring giving each other, complementing each other, and giving each other completion. There's actually a very fascinating story. It was, I think I said it once before, but it, uh, it just happened recently. A shliach in the Ukraine. His name is Rabbi Erentroy. And uh, right before the war in Ukraine, he was dealing with a couple who was having some uh, issues in their relationship. And he was trying, you know, talking to both of them and seeing what they can do. 
And this fellow asked him, you know, he was going to New York, and he asked him, when you go to New York, is it possible that you can get me a new bag for my tefillin? He wanted a new tefillin case. He goes into the Judaic store, and he was going to buy, not just we, you know, the Ukraine was going to buy a bunch of them for the people. So the woman in the store said, you know, you're buying a bunch of them. I have this old tefillin bag here. Take it with you also. Maybe there's somebody that they can't afford one, you can give it to them. No charge, just take it with you. It's an old tefillin bag. I said, okay, you know, a Jew gets something for free, doesn't ask any questions, right? So he takes it with him. And he comes to back home, back to the Ukraine, and he gives everybody the tefillin bag, the people that ordered. And he had this other tefillin bag that he was going to give actually to this fellow who he was talking to, was having issues between his wife and so on. And he takes the tefillin bag, and he, before he gives it, he wanted to make sure it was all empty, he takes it out. He cleans out the tefillin bag, and he finds all of a sudden in the tefillin bag there's a letter from the Rebbe from 1982. 40 years before the, this discussion. And what was the letter to? The letter was to a couple about to get married. A letter to them from the Rebbe wishing them blessings on their marriage and they should see each other as completing one another and they'll live a happy life. He says, wow. Over here, what did I get here? A letter to this fellow and gave it to them and thank God they live happily ever after. But the point over here is that what we do over here, what the question is that we're looking at is what did Avram say? Avram says it's all a matter of perspective. The reason when all these different things that happen in life are discrepancies that may have in the relationship are only because we allow them to enter. But if we recognize that we're husband and wife, not we're only husband and wife, but we're brother and sister, our relationship is connected, there's nothing that can sever it. There's a unique story that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai once, there was somebody that came to him and said, I want to get divorced. They came to, her, came to her husband. They didn't have any children. And according to Jewish law, if a person doesn't have children for 10 years, they can get divorced. So he came to Rabbi Yochan, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and he asked Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, write for us a divorce. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai looks at this couple and says, you know what? The same way when you got married, you made this beautiful, massive party. You're not getting divorced because of a sad reason. You're getting divorced because you don't Make a party too. So they made a party. And they made a party. A party the way it's supposed to be. And the fellow, by his party, got inebriated. He got inebriated. His wife had a desire for him, but they weren't divorced yet. So she told the fellows, bring him back home. And they went back home, and eventually they gave birth to a child. And they didn't get divorced, as you can imagine. What was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai doing? He says, sometimes in order to bring out within an individual... The ability to give birth to children or the ability to show how great the relationship is, you have to sometimes go down to the core. You have to sort of, I mean, intrinsically, it's not because of what I dress like, it's not because of what I look like, it's because of who I am. And that's what makes the relationship. So far we've spoken about the relationship between humans, but this also teaches us a greater, deeper relationship between us and God. And our relationship between Hashem. Every single one of us is called the sister of Hashem, Achoisi. We all have a part of God within ourselves. And therefore, every single one of us has that desire. We are all implanted with that chip that we are connected to God. And therefore, the love that God has for us and the love that we have for God is in the level of a brother and a sister. Where is it seen most? In the holidays, in the month of Tishrei, where there's so many holidays and we're celebrating constantly in one holiday after another holiday, we're always hanging out with each other. We can't get away from each other. You see, the relationship is unbelievable. That one week that we didn't have a holiday in it. All of a sudden, we come into the, after the holidays of Tishrei, we're now in the month of Cheshvan. There's no holidays. There's nothing doing. 
you think, okay, where's the relationship? There's a lull in the relationship. And therefore we remind ourselves, no. Achoisi. We are a sister. There's no lull in the relationship. We are connected to God regardless of what the outside looks like. Regardless if there looks somebody's trying to interfere. But even more so. The love that we have for God is constant. And as long as we remind ourselves that that love that we have for God can never be severed, then even when we are challenged in our greatest times, in our darkest times, even when sometimes anything tries to get in between us, the evil inclination, the Nachash, who tries to persuade us and say, oh, it's good out there, why don't you try something else? You say, no, 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 no. I'm intrinsically connected. Nothing can get in between my relationship with God. Even when sometimes we may fall to the side, but we're always connected, we always have the relationship. Avram was teaching us then and is teaching us now. Avram taught us then by telling Sarah, Imrina you are my sister, nothing, even the greatest pharaohs and the nakedness of Egypt and the perversion of the Egyptians will not get in between our relationship. So to Avram is telling every single one of us, the decadence of the world, as black and dark as it may be, doesn't get in between our relationship with God because we are sisters. We t- as long as we identify with God, Imrina telling God you're my sister, it's an inherent relationship. It will always be there for eternity.